Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and I'm very pleased to have in the studio with me Matt Franks uh, with the Food Group, which has a big event coming up soon called the Emerging – it's the 17th Annual Emerging Farmers Conference. So yeah. welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Matt. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Laura. Good to be back. Good to be here. So tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about the Food Group. Yeah, so the Food Group is um, a nonprofit organization that's been around since – I want to say the late 70s, early 80s, um, historically focused on – being a food bank and delivering food to food shelf partners throughout the state and western Wisconsin. Um, I work at Big River Farms, which is a program of the food group. And we had been a separate nonprofit known as the Minnesota Food Association for decades as well, focused on farmer education um, and providing access to things like land and farmland, infrastructure, tools, equipment, markets to beginning farmers. Um, but within the past five years, we joined forces with the food group and became a program kind of under that bigger nonprofit umbrella as they were doing some strategic planning around expanding their reach and their impact and thinking about the food system for a more holistic lens. So instead of just being focused solely on food access and food distribution like they had been historically, they brought the farm on as a program to also have an impact on the – production um, side of food systems work as well and kind of integrate that a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds like rather holistic. Yeah, why not yeah, yeah. be working on growing the food and just, instead of um, being um, – and working on the whole systems? Now, for 17 years, you guys have been doing something called an Emerging Farmers Conference. So tell us about that conference. Yeah, that's right. 17 years. That's wild. It's been, it's been almost two decades that it's been going on. Um, I think it was probably started by the Minnesota Food Association when we were a separate nonprofit um, and is still a program at the farm um, as part of the food group. So we still kind of manage it internally within our program area, our department at the farm. Um, but yeah, it was started as a way to connect directly with beginning farmers um, or folks who had farming experience but maybe were facing barriers to accessing land or educational resources or um, finances, loans, grants, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's 17th year. We did it in January historically. Um, in 2021, because of COVID, we did it virtually for the first time, which is a big a big change and a big undertaking, but um, definitely had some benefits. We had a lot more participation from folks further out of state. I think in the past, there had been a lot of folks kind of centered around where we are in the upper Midwest who attended. Um, but but people had flown in from out of state too in the past. And when we did it in January of 2021, we had people from, I want to say all 50 states attended virtually mm -hmm. and at least like three or four other countries as well, wow. which was great. So it really expanded the, the reach um, and the accessibility, which was great. Um, but yeah, it's been going on for a while and it's evolved over the years. Um, we've been, over the past several years, been intentionally focusing more on um, inviting in farmers um, to be participants and planners behind the scenes for the conference. So this is the first year since the last conference was held that farmers have been involved more intentionally in 
being on an advisory committee and providing suggestions for what types of topics they want to see in the workshop sessions and who they want to be there from a sponsor perspective, who they think makes the most sense for other farmers in attendance to connect with, like folks from the University Extension Service or the USDA or the Department of Agriculture in Minnesota. Um, so it's great that there's more um, focus being put on that as it's being planned every year too to get that input. And so this uh, farmers conference is November twelfth and thirteenth. And um, what is the registration like? Um, who is it open to? And how how do those details work? Yeah, it's open to anyone who considers themselves a beginning farmer who wants to get into farming um, at Big River Farms specifically. Our programming throughout the season, which is very education, hands-on, land-based, um, is focused on supporting and educating and working directly with folks who historically and continually face oppression and marginalization within food and farming systems. So we work primarily with um, BIPOC farmers, black and indigenous and people of color farmers, uh, new American farmers or immigrant and refugee farmers, and then female farmers as well. Um, so that's kind of the core demographic, those folks who attend the conference every year as well. And let's talk a little bit about why this is such vital work because I, I know there's some uh, blurring statistics that like the average age of farmers in this country is, is really old. And we've talked mm-hmm. a lot about um, people are aware of uh, labor shortages, but there's right. also a shortage of farmers. But then it's it's deeper than that, and I'm, I'm later, later going to be um, share, uh, joined by other people that I think can really speak to. It's almost more of returning to an ethos, uh, an ethos of being connected to the land and the earth, mm-hmm. and raising food in a way that is honoring of the earth and honoring of the water and the soil and honoring of each other. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we we try and lean into that definitely um, at Big River Farms and within the food group as a whole. Um, that ethos that. The, that sense of values connected to uh, social issues, environmental issues, economic issues. Um, so yeah, it's bigger than just right a transactional relationship with the land or with potential customers or folks that you're selling food you're growing to. It's really focused on that relationship building between people, between farmers and customers or buyers or folks who want to support them directly and that relationship between farmers and the land and the environment where they're growing. Yeah, it's quite beautiful. So tell us uh, what will be happening at this conference November 12th to the 13th. Um, yeah, so this is the first year. We're back in person to start with, which is great. Yay. Um, lots more engagement opportunities, lots more networking opportunities. Just fun to see people in person after two and a half years of COVID lockdowns. Um, but this is the first year that it will be two days instead of one day. Um, in the past, it had always been kind of a full one-day conference with lots of workshops, networking opportunities, um, sponsor booths with free materials and information. Um, so we're still doing that on November 12th. Um, and there will be a wellness room for the first time this year, which will be great. So someone who will specifically be chatting with farmers throughout the day about focusing on their personal well-being and health, because I think that's also often overlooked in far- in farming worlds um, where people are kind of expected to just, you know, constantly be working and uh, farming and being in that relationship with the land, but not necessarily paying attention to their own mental or physical well-being and health. So we, as an organization, have been trying to focus on that more. So it'll be great that that's going to be part of the conference as well this year. And then the second day on the 13th of November is going to be a full day of field tours of site visits. Um, So that'll be 
a big um, opportunity and a nice addition to the conference as well. So there's three different sites on Sunday that folks can visit. Um, they get to choose two of the three when they sign up. You asked a question about registration earlier. People can go onto our website, um, thefoodgroupmn.org, and look for the Big River pages there to find conference information or go directly to – there's a separate conference website as well called emergingfarmers.org um, and, a, and a, a link to an Eventbrite registration sign-up. Um, but yeah, Sunday will be great. We've got um, connection with the University of Minnesota, so we're going to tour their greenhouses um, we're doing a micro microgreens growing demonstration, talking about season extension. We'll be at the Good Acre, which is a food hub not too far from the St. Paul campus of the university here um, in Falcon Heights by the fairgrounds. And they are going to show us their commercial kitchen and some of their hoop houses and, and greenhouses. And then the third site is at a relatively new independent grocer in North Minneapolis called North Market. And they've partnered up with another local nonprofit to build out and establish an on-site hydroponics growing system for the market. So that'll be a lot of fun to, to tour too, this big shipping freight container that's been <laughs> renovated and turned into a big hydroponic system for growing like leafy greens and microgreens I, and I produce was, for the store. I mean, I was just looking at your website. I was like, I could feel uh, – I, I, I wanted to show us on all these wonderful innovations because, yeah. I mean, it has been feeling to me a little bit like the Times just feels kind of like – um, like, like there's just so much stress or something in the mm. air right now. I mean, food prices are up, and all the you know so much drama and so many so many churning and negatives. And mm-hmm. so to actually go out and see some real change that's relational, that's not mm-hmm. transactional. Yeah, it's very um, hope inspiring, and also um, at the same time, it's uh, um, recognizing that hard work and, mm-hmm. and and how to forge a path that makes more sense. Yeah. For ourselves and our planet. Mm-hmm, definitely. And very educational focused. Um, and like you said, relationship focused, bringing people together to learn and um, create new things, create new ideas, create new farming businesses, create new opportunities to be in connection with the land. Yeah, because what is it about? Like, we've got to feed ourselves. So, uh, some of the um, some of the core prin- uh, purposes of the conference. Uh, number one is to offer education and access to resources. So, what are some of the resources that are available for the emerging farmers? Um, well, I mentioned there's a bunch of workshops. So, the this year, the, the way that the agenda is set up is kind of a beginning welcome session in the morning. Um, we've got an M- a great MC who's been a part of the conference in the past, who's joining us again, named Ugi. Um, And she'll kind of set the tone for the day, welcome everybody, talk logistics. Um, And then there's some morning uh, sessions and then two separate afternoon sessions. So farmers can kind of pick and choose from the agenda, you know, topics that they're interested in learning about from an educational perspective and and getting resources to various things. So there's sessions on topics like regenerative grazing, um, seed saving, uh, growing for wholesale accounts, how to create those relationships and those market connections. Um, so, yeah, a whole bunch of topics for people to learn about from presenters who are farmers themselves or work kind of farming adjacent with, you know, nonprofit groups or government groups or academic institutions who are connected to farming and food systems work. So that's a big piece of it. And then there's other resources too, like the couple rooms I mentioned before, like the wellness room for folks to connect with those kinds of resources to um, – be more reflective on their their personal well-being, their mental health, their physical health. Um, there will also be a sponsor room with booths from – I want to say there's close to like 
20 to 30 sponsors um, who support this conference and who have over the many years, um, which aids in both the planning and also the financial piece. So a big thing that they support is the financial aspect of just managing and, and, and hosting this conference every year. Mm-hmm. And it also means that farmers who attend can, apply, can, can come for free. There's no ticket charge for farmers as a way to make it more accessible and try and reduce that financial – that potential financial barrier. Well, which is key because uh, it's um, – uh, um, it's, it's bizarre that in our um, economic system, farmers um, don't make enough money. I mean mm-hmm. it's just – I mean talk about one of the most vital work – that humans can do. It's how do we feed ourselves and feed each other. And uh, this is considered kind of low pay work, which is crazy. Mm-hmm, While definitely. at the same time, food prices are high. So, right. I mean, it's just, it's, it, but, but, but so how is the, those systems are interconnected in some ways. And I, I don't sure. quite understand how, and I don't know if anyone does, but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you made me think about um, teachers too, right? Like, especially mm-hmm. over COVID, just that the heightened sense of, oh, wow, teachers do a ton of work and are underpaid and underappreciated. And I feel like that really came to light during COVID. At the same time as people, I think, became more in tune and more aware of um, the fragility of food systems, mm-hmm. right? Like the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, I think there was a lot more folks who, st- who wanted to support local businesses, local grocery stores, local farmers, um, because a lot of markets were closing down when COVID hit, right? Like grocery stores and schools and senior living homes, hospitals. So, yeah, there's a lot of interconnectedness between between all those worlds, between farming, environmental um, justice work, social justice work, education. We're trying to integrate that all, bring it all together. Integrate it all. Bring it all together. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, with the uh, to the Hmong Farmers Association. We're talking about the Emerging Farming Conference coming up on November 12th and 13th. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's plain to see the love lights go now in your Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headline, and in studio with me is Matt Frank uh, with the uh, Food Group. And coming up on November 12th and 13th is the annual Emerging Farmers Conference. And joining us now is Lucas uh, Humblet. Hi, welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Lucas. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you so much for being here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, I'm a farmer. I own Uelia CEO Farm with my partner, Mallory. We rent our land at Big River Farms, um, which is a program of the food group. And we just finished out our third season there at uh, Big River Farms. So so the name of your farm, say that again and what it means. Yeah, it's uh, Yoel Yaseo. Yoel Yaseo. Yup, Yoel Yaseo. And that is a word in my native language of the Oneida Nation of Wisconsin. That's a word in my language for a good heart. So um, it's not a full translation, like a word-for-word translation. It's a rough translation of the idea of what we were trying to portray. You know, for us to be farmers, we feel that we need to have a good heart to be able to take care of all of our seeds. Need to have a good mind to continue doing this work and a good spirit to uh, continue to take care of the soils and everything. 
Well, I started with saying the times have felt so frantic, and one of the um, one of the messages I keep getting is, you know, how do we find that that core good heart and rise up from that place of, you know, of unity and of calmness and sanity and kindness um, while doing the work of feeding ourselves. And so um, you are going to be the keynote speaker at the conference. Um, So tell us a little bit um, about uh, what you plan to talk about. Yeah. um, I haven't done a keynote before, so this is going to be my first time doing that. So I think I'm just going to kind of talk about my life and my story up until this point. Um, Had kind of a traumatic incident when I was 19 years old and lost one of my fingers in a work accident. And from that, that's really what got me into agriculture and into farming was that work accident. So, um, yeah, since then, you know, I'll be talking about how I've connected with the agricultural community and how they've helped me to get through that trauma, things like that. And that's kind of the highlights of highlights of what I'll be speaking about at the conference. So the keynote name of the keynote is Life of a Nine-Fingered Farmer. So do you want to share what happened? or? Oh, yeah. I guess, uh, well, just one morning I was at the shop. I worked at a shop. We were building pallets, and I was on a saw, and the saw wasn't up to code or anything like that. And I don't know if there's a power surge or what really happened, but my hand got too close to the saw blade, and the saw blade came down, took the finger off, and, um, yeah, here we are. So then how did the egg community connect with this? How did you find that after that? How, where are the, how, do, how do you connect this? Yeah, um, I don't want to give too many spoilers okay. for the keynote conference. But it connects by a couple months after when I was recovering, going through physical therapy for the hand and everything. I was just kind of feeling lost about where I was going in life. You know, I was kind of thinking, oh, I could, I don't mind working in a machine shop rest of my life. But no, that really changed when I had the accident. And so one night I was hanging out with my sister, my oldest sister, and we're just talking, having heart to heart conversation. And she encouraged me to go back to school. There's a couple areas I was interested, but we settled on agriculture. So I looked up a couple programs and uh, enrolled in college. And, uh, yeah, went to school for sustainable agriculture and food systems. And, yeah, from there, a whole bunch of doors opened up. I connected with uh, my indigenous roots and what it means to be an indigenous farmer, not just a farmer, but an indigenous farmer. Got to work with a bunch of youth, indigenous youth in the agricultural field. So it's like, really, once I started working with the youth, that's when that fire in me was ignited. And I was like, yo, this is what I need to be doing with my life. So that's kind of how it all connects was it was just, yeah, I want to do this one thing, so I did it, and then it opened up other doors and led me this far. So, so, um, so you also are going to be with a special guest, Como Seed Library, and so swapping seeds. How is that? Um, why swapping seeds? Talk about the idea or, or the action of swapping seeds. Yeah, it's a very traditional thing amongst a lot of indigenous communities. Um, we're not going as traditional with this 
seed swap. It's more going to be a giveaway style. I feel weird saying it's going to be us giving away the seeds. <laughs> right, um, right, right, right. Uh, yeah. You know, seeds are living, breathing, spiritual beings that my people and a lot of indigenous peoples all over the world have had a connection with their entire lives for thousands of years. So we need to be able to honor these seeds as such. You know, they're not baseball cards. They're Pokemon cards that are being traded and just given away. So we're going to have a little conversation before we do that seeds before we do the seed swap and say, hey, this is how we choose to honor these seeds, and we hope that you respect that relationship and respect the seeds in the same way that we have. So I think we'll kind of go around at the day of the conference and just, you know, give the Como Seed Library an opportunity to talk. And I think we're having a couple other partners there, too. Give them, like, a couple minutes to talk about the seeds that they chose to bring and go from there. And traditionally... What it would be would be the recipients of the seeds. They would also offer seeds or tobacco or other medicines in exchange for the seeds because we want to honor the life of the seeds. We don't, we're not just giving away these seeds, but we need to honor it in the form of another gift. So, yeah, I love yeah, that, Lucas. It'll be kind of interesting. We were chatting before about um, kind of the shift from a transactional relationship between farmers and growers and the land and also farmers and potential customers or buyers of their produce. Um, so I love what you said about seeds being living organisms and and having a reverence for that relationship between farmer and seed and it not just being an inanimate object but recognizing that there's a relationship there that exists and having some intentionality around that. So my, my mother-in-law gave me some walking Egyptians like 25 years ago, these plants. And mm-hmm. so every time I share the plants with my neighbors or with other people, it's I'm honoring the plant because the plant wants to live in more places. So it's a whole different abundant um, lifestyle um, that's that we've sort of in, in this colonized mindset that we have around food and where we see plants as things and mm-hmm. humans as beings, you know, we've really have, – have we lost – Not, I don't even know if I want to use the word lost, but um, what is the promise of, of, um, of recognizing all other beings as sacred, as plants as sacred? What's, what's the what's – the, um, what could be the outcomes that's a great question. <laughs> I feel like we can have a deeper connection with uh, each other as our neighbors. We can have a deeper connection with the natural world around us. This is all me personally speaking here, but, um, you know, I love being out in nature, love getting my hands dirty. I'm a hunter and I'm a fisher like that, and I just feel so at home in nature. And I feel like part of it's because I am trying to do my best to honor those relationships and you know, if everybody was able to honor those relationships, you know, I'm not trying to sound like a hippie or anything <laughs> like this, but, you know, we could have, I feel like we could have a lot better, peace, more peaceful world if we were to go back and start honoring these original relationships that humans have built alongside all of these other, you know, plants, animals, things like that, so... I don't know if there's one specific outcome, but in my mind, it seems like it'd be a better world 
just a little bit. Well, and and um, uh, the more of the cutting edge um, information on nutrition. Uh, there are fifty thousand phytochemicals in the soils that we know of. I mean, life is very very complex, but eating from living soil. I mean, more and more people are coming down to understanding that the health of the soil is connected to human health. Mm-hmm. And we've experienced so yeah. many problems between obesity and diabetes and um, just a lot of different um, unhealthy systems that are rising that could be a result of the chemical approach to agriculture instead of a more of a um, sustainable approach to agriculture. What do, what do you think about that, Matt? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it goes back to that relationship conversation and recognizing the power of not only seeds and plants, but food to connect people and to re-engage people in some of those relationships with knowing where their food comes from, how it's grown, who's growing it, its impact on the environment. Again, going back to that idea of re-education, relearning things or learning new things and then integrating more of that knowledge more broadly. And the other big thing is to build the capacity for people to um, have businesses as farmers. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so at Big River Farms, um, we're a education-focused program. Um, we're land-based. So in the in the off-season, when because the, the growing season here is so short in Minnesota because of our colder climate in the winter, um, we focus on the education piece of the puzzle in the winter from January to about early, mid-April every season. Um, so the, the application period actually just closed the other day for new farmers who want to join us this coming season. And there's usually anywhere from like two to four classes, trainings, panel discussions um, for farmers to participate in, to learn from each other, to learn from other farmers, to learn from staff. And then during the growing season, um, some of those folks will have access to physical farmland tools, um, mm-hmm. equipment like tractors and, so, and space to grow. So, Lucas, tell us about the process of creating a revenue-producing farm uh, and how that's worked for you. Yeah, we definitely had a lot of challenges. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say revenue-producing just yet. <laughs> it's a uh, third year in business, but, you know, we have produced enough revenue so both my partner and I are able to be full-time employees. So, First year, it was both her and I had outside jobs working full time there, and then we come to come to the farm and farm until the sun was down, and it was just that the whole first year. Second year, you know, it was gradual build. She was able to be our full time employee last year, and this year, both of us were able to be full time employees where we were able to pay ourselves a uh, salary. So. You know, it's kind of a slower process, but that's what that's what it is. We have to build up, um, build up our markets, build up relationships with the community, figure out what works for us, what's sellable, what's best in terms of sales, everything like that. So it's really slow, but you know, that's the best way to do it. Just so that we're not getting too ahead of ourselves. And uh, tell people where they can learn about your farm and your website. Yeah, I. I think I believe that we have a link to our website on Big River Farms uh, website. Also, we have our own square page, and we got a couple pieces of information up there about who we are, what we do, where you can find us in the community, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook. Although we are not too active on those two social media platforms. 
Um, and so it's a two-acre diversified farm and seed farm in uh, Marine on St. Croix that's operated by the Big River Farms group. Exactly. Yep. Well, cool. And again, as we leave, I just wanted you to say the name of the farm again because I just love this name. Yoelio. Yoelio. And what is the root of that name? The the root or translation. Translation. I guess translation would be good heart. And then what's the root? That's a good question. I don't speak (laughs) enough of my language to know that. (laughs) Well, I appreciate your time, Lucas Hamblett, and you'll be giving the keynote speaker at the uh, Emerging Farmers Conference, which is November 12th and 13th. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. And uh, thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm Laura Hedlund. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and in studio with me is Matt Frank with the Minnesota Food Group. And we're very pleased to be joined right now by the uh, co-founder and executive director of the Hmong American Farmers Association, Johnson Jansen Haig. Welcome, uh, welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Oh, thank you so much, Laura, for having me. Thank you. Um, I'm hoping I'm saying your name correctly. Um, can you say that for me, please? Sure. Yeah. No, my name is Jansen Haig. Um, and can you um, tell us a little bit about the Hmong American Farmers Association? Okay, yeah, absolutely. So uh, the Hmong American Farmers Association, uh, also known as HAFA, uh, we, we live in the world of acronyms right now here, and the Hmong American Farmers Association is such a mouthful, so we like to say HAFA a lot here. Uh-huh. Uh, the Hmong American Farmers Association is a, a membership-based nonprofit organization um, that was created in 2011. Uh, to really foster the inequity uh, that exists in the food and farming industry uh, with regards to lack of access to land, markets, trainings, research, um, as well as credit and capital here. Uh, and the mission of the organization is to advance the economic, social, and cultural prosperity of Hmong American farmers through capacity building, cooperative endeavors, and also advocacy work to really spur uh, a pathway to intergenerational and community wealth. And more than 50% of farmers selling in the metro area farmers markets are Hmong. That's correct. They and, are. And in fact, you know, to be honest with you, like uh, not just now, but ever since, you know, the early 1990s, like Hmong farmers um, has been at the forefront of the local food movements. Um, you know, primarily selling the farmers market and just revitalizing our farmers market system here in the Twin Cities around the metropolitan area. And you have some big news, um, you, that a huge milestone in that you uh, bought 155 acres of land in Dakota County, and this is the first time um, in the country of, uh, of a large farm. So tell us a little bit about that purchase. Oh, absolutely right. I mean, you are, you are absolutely correct. It is a huge milestone, uh, not just for Hawa, uh, but for Hmong farmers. Um, and in fact, like you mentioned, and this is truly an historical moment, um, the very first time that, um, you know, a Hmong-owned nonprofit organization had purchased land. Um, and, and primarily, it's not just about the fact that it was purchased by the organization, but it's an organization that was created by Hmong farmers for Hmong farmers here. And having this huge leap has significant impact, um, not just to our current farmers, but also for future generations of farmers, right? Um, and so we're extremely excited about this opportunity here 
Um, not only does it give them land security, but also the ability to grow and transform their farm business operation to make it more vibrant as well as financially viable. And um, so your farmers, what do they produce and where do they sell the food? Yeah, so great questions. So uh, we have a number of farmers. On the Hapa farm, we work with over 100 Hmong farmers here, and they grow over 160 varieties of produce. I mean, I mean not just produce, but from, you know, mixed vegetable, fruits, as well as flowers here. And uh, the majority of their primary market outlet for, for uh, all of our farmers is the farmer's market system. Uh, but as a result of that, we also know that, you know, if the farmer's market is the primary and only source of revenue or market outlet here, then um, it is quite concerning uh, because then they are always at the mercy of the farmer's market system. And clearly we know that in the last couple of years since COVID, we have all these new COVID protocols, regulations here that significantly impact our farmers. So when Hoffa first started in 2011, we decided we need to create an alternative market program. And in that alternative market program houses our food hub where we aggregate produce from all of our farmers and we secure contracts, um, whether that is through, like, the school system, Minneapolis Public Schools, St. Paul Public Schools, or with Seward Co-op or with Mississippi Market or Carlton College and Bonne Petite. Um, but at the same time, we also have integrated um, a CSA, or Community Support Agriculture Program, which is a kind of farm to family where we work closely with uh, a number of like uh, farm to workplace with the city of Minneapolis. Uh, out of that, we kind of created a program called the Veggie Rex where we work uh, exclusively with M Health Fairview um, to provide uh, or increase access to locally grown fresh produce to low income food secure families to address uh, chronic illnesses such as like cardiovascular, diabetes. Um, and obesity, and then out of that, um, we kind of born it, it kind of born our farm to early care program, where we work with in-home daycare providers, and really introducing access to fresh local grown produce um, to providers, so that they can share this meal or these produce with the children. So one is as a, a multi part um, of this project was to introduce children at a young age to eating fresh, healthy local grown produce. Um, that, you know, changing their diet, changing their palates here, that in the future will lead to more a healthy outcome. But act also at the same time is looking at different avenues of how do we challenge system barriers um, around programming that support uh, in-home daycare providers. And so there, there have been multiple outlets that Hoffa have been working with. Uh, it's not just uh, schools, CSAs. Uh, wholesalers, retailers, co-ops, um, and processors as well. It is just, I just almost want to excel in all of that wonderful work. I mean, health and well-being, um, getting healthy vegetables to preschool kids, um, collaborating, um, independent farmers collaborating to sell together at Seward Co-op and other outlets, um, and, and, and then now buying 155 acres of land in Dakota County. I mean, let's just applaud. <laughs> But I also, I also, yeah. I mean, it really, I mean, that was a lot of work, and it's just, I'm so grateful for that because growing food, healthy food near people, um, duh. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but one other thing I want to make sure we get in is talk a little bit about this proposed road in Dakota County and what might be going on with that. Yeah, no, great questions. You know, as we have, 
you know, have this huge legion security land in Dakota County, uh, which the hop farm is located in Dakota County right off of Highway 52. Uh, we are also challenged right now uh, with two current road construction projects, uh, one um, that is led by the Minnesota Department of Transportation, uh, where they have a repaving project, and that in this repaving project, they are looking to expand the right-of-way that will carve into the Hoffa farm. Um, so that is one thing that we are definitely challenged with right now, um, as well as in this process is an eminent domain process, right? So this is currently happening right now. Um, and clearly what we want is we want to preserve egg land. Uh, we know that especially for small-scale vegetable producers, emerging farmers, is that land access has been critical um, and critically hard to obtain as well, too, especially um, close to the Twin Cities metropolitan area, close to their market outlet as well. And by doing this, that it has a significant impact. Uh, the second project is the Dakota County project, uh, which is the, what they consider is the Dakota County Interchange Project. And in this particular project is they're looking at a number of um, areas, you know, primarily around focus around safety. And that in this aspect that they feel that by incorporating an interchange uh, at the uh, Hoffa Farm Corridor here, that that resolves a, a number of safety issues. Uh, but at the same time, it kind of overlooks uh, the social, cultural, and economic impact here that this potential um, interchange project that is um, run and operated by Dakota County has uh, a potential impact from 5 to 20 acres of land that would be taken out of production. And this is truly concerning because this talks about the economic um Viabilities, right, and the vitalities uh, that it has onto uh, farmers or among farmers, particularly on the Hoffa farm, that it would take their land out of production and let it alone, and they that would displace them uh, out of a uh, source of revenue to support their families. And so, this is truly concerning, and we are in deep conversation with Dakota County. Uh, we hope that we can resolve and find a more viable solution. Um, and fingers are crossed that that is a case here as well. Well, and uh, I also want to talk about some of the environmental problems. Um, I know AM 950, we're um, close to a freeway, and our water has salt in it. And so the salting and the chemicals on the roads, um, what are some of the environmental problems of putting um, a farm through uh, a roads, adding roads to um, sustainable farmland? Oh, that's, uh, that's very important. Right. I mean, one is trying to understand, you know, geographic where Hoffa is located. And so we are located at the intersection of Highway 52 and 200 Street. And right in that corridor, is we butt up to the South Branch Vermilion River and the Vermilion River, which is a tributary to the Mississippi River. Right. And so this is definitely one of the concerns that we've had as well, too, is the environmental impact. Like by putting this bridge or creating these intersections here, it's going to funnel all these runoff into the river. Right. And that's concerning. That's very concerning. It's not just to the river, but the wetland area that is around that is protected here. Um, so this is this is a huge concern of ours. And this is one of the pushbacks. We're saying, that, hey, if we're looking at this project, we have to think about not just the safety, but looking at equity in all policy that revolves around environmental impact, revolves around social cultural impact, revolves around economic impact as well, too. But in terms of the environmental impact, this it has a huge significant impact on 
the Vermilion, the South Branch Vermilion or the Vermilion River watershed system here. And that has brown um, trout in it. Yeah, and it, it is the only, uh, what we consider is urban trout streams, right? So how do we preserve this? Um, and this is one of our arguments, like how do we preserve this? The other thing is that when you talk about the environment is that you have to think about the soil and the water quality of things and not necessarily how, how it's a tributary to the Vermilion River or the Mississippi River, but how that goes into our water column and the fact that we're on the farm that we are, we have multiple wells on the farm and using that, how is that going to impact food safety, right? Uh, especially with the, with the Food Safety Modernization Act and produce safety requirements here, this is very concerning. Like now we get runoff into the fields, you know, we get potential um, ponding of water, the way that things are structured. Um, so it's very concerning at all levels. And um, those are the various different tasks that HAFA is focusing yeah. on and addressing with Dakota County that we have to look at the environmental impact, not just to the river, but to the crops that we grow, because the crops that we grow are feeding our local local communities here. I want to make we have two minutes left. I want to make sure I get details again about the emerging conference um, farmers conference coming up. But how can our listeners connect and support you, especially um, in the Dakota County area? What, what can our listeners do? Oh, absolutely. So the, the listeners from Dakota County, please, um, you know, jump onto the Dakota County website. Um, there's actually um, a particular like traffic study project that's going on here. Uh, please go in there and insert your comment um, and support Hoffman in saying that you know, we don't want uh, interchange, right? We are afraid of the not just the environmental impact, but the economic impact, the social cultural impact that will have on not just Hoffa but our community because Hoffa clearly we serve a number of stakeholders in the Twin Cities metropolitan area. Right. So please uh, go and insert your comment and share that with Dakota County um, and kind of be in line and value with HAFA and the work that we do here. And last minute, so I just want to make sure we mention again about the Emerging Farmers Conference. Um, what are your thoughts on that, uh, Jansen? Oh, I, I think it's wonderful. Um, you know, as we see that in the small-scale mixed vegetable realms of agriculture here, um, we really, there, there's kind of successions of elders moving out, um, passing away, retiring here, that the Emerging Farm Working Conference is an opportunity to really grow that next generation of farmers here. Um, and this is definitely a stepping stone to that. Um, introducing to them, um, sharing resources here so that they um, we can build their capacity and build their self-efficacy here so that they that we're building agency for these individuals here for the next generation so they can be better um, farmers, but at the same time uh, address our local food needs here. Right. Agency for the next generation while addressing our current food needs. Love it. I thank you so much for your time, Jansen Hying with the uh, Among American Farmers Association, HAFA. I um, also thank uh, Lucas Humblet, um, a farmer, and thank Matt Frank with the Food Group Minnesota. Again, the Emerging Farmers Conference is November 12th and 17th. It's the 17th annual. And thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio.